0: Welcome to Unlocking Brand, a part of our Siegel and Gale podcast series. Here, our global brand experts host live case studies, deliver actionable insights, and answer key questions on the topics that matter to brand marketers today. In this episode, we explore our work for Borg Warner. For over 130 years, Borg Warner has been a transformative global product leader, delivering innovative mobility solutions for the vehicle market. Today, the brand is accelerating the world's transition to e-mobility to help build a cleaner, healthier, safer future for all. Michelle Collins, Global Director of Marketing and Public Relations for Borg Warner, joins our Managing Director of Strategy, Matt Egan, Creative Director, Jason Miller, and Global Chief Marketing Officer, Margaret Molloy, to discuss how to leverage brand for transformation in a B2B enterprise. This is Siegel & Gale Says.
1: Welcome to the Siegel and Gale Future of Branding. This is our Unlocking Brand Series. I'm Margaret Molloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer at Siegel and Gale and your host for today's episode. Siegel and Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design, and experience firm. Our topic for today is how to leverage brand for transformation in a B2B enterprise. For more than 130 years, the automotive supplier Borg Warner has been committed to innovation. Today, we're going to go behind the scenes to discover how the company with 30,000 employees across 19 countries updated its brand to align with its business strategy, which is all around accelerating the world's transition to e-mobility or electrification. We will explore how to link business transformation and brand, how to develop a dynamic logo and future-proof it, and how to activate a new brand that supports all stakeholders. And today I'm joined by the team that led the work. A very good morning to Michelle Collins, the Global Director of Marketing and Public Relations at Borg Warner. Hello, Michelle.
2: Hi, Margaret. Thanks so much for having me today. It's great to be here.
1: Delighted. Also joined by two of my colleagues. Hello, Matt Egan, Managing Director, Strategy Siegel and Gale. Good morning and good afternoon where you are, Matt.
3: Pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: And also Jason Miller, Creative Director and a colleague at Siegel & Gale. Hello, Jason. Hello. Good afternoon. So thank you all. I invite all of our viewers to put your questions, please, in the Q&A. Throughout the conversation, I will endeavor to get those questions to Michelle, Jason, and Matt. So let's begin. Michelle. Set the stage for us. For those who are not as familiar with the automotive space, tell us
2: who is Borg Warner? Yes, definitely. Happy to. So, Borg Warner is a B2B uh, global product leader that brings sustainable mobility solutions to the market. We work with basically every major OEM around the globe um, and enable a vehicle to, to get from point A to point B. That's what we do essentially at the end of the day. Like you said, we are a company of 30,000 people with 80 locations in 19 countries. And we've been around for more than 130 years. As you can imagine, mobility has changed a lot during that time. You know, we've gone from producing transmissions and uh, carburetors to now doing inverters, integrated drive modules, charging stations, uh, batteries, just to name a few.
1: Fantastic. So, been around 130 years. Why was it time to evaluate the brand again?
2: Yeah, so we're seeing a transformation right now in the automotive and mobility industry that we've never seen before um, with the production and adoption of electric vehicles. Um, So BorgWarner, you know, obviously needs to pivot with that, with our customers. And in March of 2021, we unveiled a strategy called Charging Forward, which was our accelerated electrification strategy. Um, As we completed major milestones of that strategy over the last two years, our board of directors and our CEO felt that we were at a point in time where it was really relevant to also change our our visual identity. Um, That was very exciting for me because I knew that I would be leading, leading that project.
1: Can you think a little deeper on the charging forward strategy? Sounds very intriguing in the context of your business.
2: Yeah, so Charging Forward, as I said, uh, was unveiled two years ago. It is comprised of three separate pillars. The first was an organic EV growth target that the company had to book $2.5 billion in EV revenue by 2025. The second pillar was targeting $2 billion in EV-focused M&A activity, so acquiring um, other companies that complemented or filled gaps in, in spaces that we were looking to grow. And then the third pillar was optimizing our combustion portfolio by executing $3.5 billion in dispositions or divestitures by 2025. And that is really, you know, those who know us in the industry, we um provide components for vehicles, and in the past have always been very highly linked with combustion vehicles. So this was a critical component for us to be able to kind of really do portfolio management. We gave an update on these targets at an investor day that we had last month in New York at the Stock Exchange, um, and rolled out some new targets with uh, Charging Forward 2027, which then will have us focusing on our e product growth and profitability, as well as maximizing our foundational or combustion uh, product value.
1: An EV here is electric vehicles, right? Yes,
2: yes. Thank Wonderful. you for saying that acronym. Sometimes in the industry, we uh, you know use them so regularly. Forget that. Not everybody is aware of that.
1: Yes, indeed. Oh, we have our acronyms too, for sure, Michelle. So that's a wonderful backdrop and congratulations on that. Really interesting strategy for folks to follow, and in particular, those ambitious targets. So, Matt, let's let's turn over to you. Now that we have the backdrop of the strategy, talk to me about its linkage to brand and where does brand strategy come in now that you have your business strategy in order?
3: Sure. Well, first of all, you know, I think. You know, Michelle, you're working in the space and in the category and you're in the midst of so much transfer- transformation. We work across different categories. And so, you know, for us, this, the scale of the transformation is just is profound. Um, when we first engaged with you, I think it was it was in June of 2021. Um, and the, the declared shift at the time was, you know, from less than 5% revenue uh, associated with auto electrification to almost 50% in just a handful of years. And so that shift is really, really dramatic. And, you know, for us, our goal with the brand work is really to signal to the world beyond a press release, beyond an analyst day presentation, um, that this is going to be a different Warner, that this will be a new company with renewed focus, renewed energy uh, to pursue this electric future and really build belief, critically with employees, critically with real you know hard to reach, highly sought after technology talent, uh, prospective talent for the organization, of course for the street and, and, and for customers. And you know brand was was just a lever, right? Uh, uh, the lot a lot of, of initiatives that were spun up uh, following the charging forward announcement. and brand was a small and important of, of, of a number of complementary initiatives that were uh, spun up at the time.
1: So Matt, of course, Integral to brand and the brand strategy component is indeed the brand promise. Sure. And you did talk about the changing context and changing dynamic in the category. Talk to us about how that impacted brand promise and where you all landed.
3: Sure. Well, look, I would say we had a really clear business strategy in in this case. And uh, that was really helpful to us doing our kind of foundational brand strategy and brand positioning work. And I would say that developing that promise was a bit more of a linear process than what we often experience because we often work with you know, clients that maybe the business strategy isn't as clear or the fundamental business objective isn't as clear. I think some of the real debate that we engaged in with the Borg Warner team was sort of the timing, how quickly to move, how, how fast, how far to move. And that was um, a, a big piece of the work and and, and why, you know, we're now in, in July of 2023 after doing some initial foundational strategy work in, in June of 21. But when your question about the promise is all about about um, about the human impact of auto electrification. The shorthand is, you know, is, is drive well, live well. The formal promise is about empowering everyone to drive sustainably and to live cleaner and healthier lives uh, through e-mobility. So you know our our work in, in getting there was 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 all about speaking to executives, speaking to analysts, speaking to customers all over the world. Uh, we engage with Borg Warner employees through, throughout the process to really understand what were the distinctive um, attributes or aspects of Borg Warner uh, that we could reflect reflect through a, a foundational brand strategy and brand positioning.
1: I see, so I'm getting a question here, Michelle, maybe you can speak to it around the role of sustainability in the uh, brand promise and in the brand strategy. And that's a good reminder to folks, please do put your questions in the Q&A and we will address them. So I recognize that's a very large initiative and very large program sustainability, maybe from a brand standpoint, if you would touch on that, Michelle.
2: Yeah. So sustainability is front and center for Board Warner. Our vision is a clean energy efficient world, and that's been our vision for over a decade. So I would say we were always very focused on this space, you know, even before it became as as prevalent as, as it is now. Speaking of the sustainability, we've recently launched our 2023 sustainability report called um, Accelerating Action, which can be found on our sustainability page of the website that I I think we'll drop in the chat there. Um, like I said, it's been our vision for a long time and it's really the foundation of who we are and what we do and dovetails into all of the aspects of, you know, how we run our business. So whether that be emissions reducing product, you know, or still combustion and hybrid vehicles or the the latest uh, electrification uh, product or system solution, it's really the underlying underlying foundation of, of what we do. Yeah.
1: Matt, did you want to comment on that as it relates to the brand work? I imagine that was a, uh, an input into the work.
3: It's the, it's. I mean, it's the underlying driver for you know every shift that's happening at, at Borg Warner today. And um, I think for us, you know, our goal was to find the sort of unique uh, perspective or point of view on sustainability within the auto electrification space and ownable. Territory for Borg Warner that would be distinctive from you know some of the other you know tier one uh, suppliers in the space and 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 really our point of differentiation was focusing on human impact. So folks, even outside of the space, uh, sustainability leaders, uh, some of the benchmarks we looked at, they really anchor in sort of planet messaging, right? And so our goal was to really focus on people messaging, so people over planet broadly, and also looking, I think, at the closer in competitive space, we see a lot of the most direct commercial competitors to Borg Warner, really anchoring their brands in a direct commercial you know promise, right? Um, kind of how they serve OEMs or how they serve the mobility marketplace. And that's obviously you know the core of what Borg Warner does, It's an important foundational uh, message for any brand in this space. But as a leader, um, we saw an opportunity for Borg Warner to really lean in with this larger impact on people and humanity. I mean, this idea of helping people, you know, live cleaner, health, healthier lives. And so that was really the point of differentiation and a, a differentiated message that Borg Warner can own in this space.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting insight. And it, it does beg the question, Michelle, you're a B2B company. And that just outlined a very human insight that was reflected in the promise. How did you get alignment internally? not even around the identity, which we'll get to in a moment, just more broadly around engaging a brand program.
0: Maybe yeah. talk to us
1: about that, and to the extent other B2B companies and marketing leaders within B2B companies, just find it hard to get the, that conversation, the attention that they, as marketeers, know it deserves. Any tips for yeah. your your
2: peers there? It's very challenging, like you said, as a as a B2B company, you have a, a different set of complexities that a B2C company doesn't have. Like I mentioned, our, our vision has been in place for over 10 years. We also have a, a strong sense of community at Borg Warner. So, you know, one of our key values is supporting the communities that that we live and work in. And I think um, it wasn't then a hard sell to employees and even externally, because they were already living the vision. Uh, they were already very involved in the communities. They live and work. And this seemed like a natural extension. And it was authentic to us. Um, I think that is really a, a key component. Um, this always felt authentic to us. So even the shift in, in the brand, you know, like Matt said, we had a very clear and concise strategy. And, and that made it a lot more linear. But it was very authentic to who we are. Uh, so this wasn't something I had to try and sell people on. Um, it just goes along with our culture, which I would say is is very unique in the automotive space too. We have a strong strong culture at Borg Warner, um, but yeah, nonetheless, it's very challenging as a B two B. You're always trying to find that space um, and and where you can be newsworthy. But I think, uh, like I said, uh, a big portion of it is also being very authentic with it.
1: Yeah. So interesting. Another question is coming up. Matt, I'll put this one to you. It's the squirrely question of what well, it's really interesting that you characterize the process with Borg Warner as linear, perhaps ideal case scenario. What advice would you give to brand leaders, folks like Michelle, who don't have a linear process based on all kinds of internal dynamics?
3: Sure. Well, look, I, I I had responded in the chat, and it's true. I think that having the luxury of a, of a linear or waterfall process has kind of become the exception, not the rule, just given the speed at which business operates today. I think when we first engaged with Michelle, we didn't have that luxury either. And through our discovery process, we realized, actually, we can take a gated approach and kind of you know, rolling out the brand and let's get the strategy and the messaging out there and the timing for the reveal of the identity really worked in our favor in this case. Uh, we realized we were too early, but that's the exception. So many of our client engagements today have really aggressive goals. They want all the data, they want all the rigor, the analysis, the creativity, the excellence in execution, and execution, and they want it all kind of fast and, and done in, in parallel. So I think the advice is just have faith in your partners. Um, set up a process that uh, where you where you where you believe in the sort of content owners for each of these parallel work streams, and make sure there's you know alignment and dialogue throughout. and And it can work. It's a it's more challenging to work in parallel, but I think I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately, it, it kind of has become the the more typical or the norm today.
2: Michelle, anything you'd add there? Yeah, the only thing I would add is that. These things take time. You know, everybody wants everything fast, but I think if you really skimp on that entire discovery phase, you don't, uh, it, it can be very challenging with people's busy schedules, but if you don't make the time to really bring your internal stakeholders, your employees along on some part of this journey, or at least feel like they have involvement and input, and then also gather all of the leadership and external viewpoints, Mm -hmm. you're really doing yourself a disservice. And uh, I I think that's really one thing that you can't uh, skimp on. You really have to do a thorough discovery phase or or the rest of it is really going to fall apart.
0: Yeah.
1: Michelle, a follow-up on that prescription from you and Matt sounds sounds very smart, but internally, how do you have that conversation with your CEO, CFO, board, et cetera, to buy some time? Yeah. How, do you, how do you get the patience, or is it either there or it's not, and you're in the, it's their camp?
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, it- I had the support of our CEO and top leadership first and foremost, hundred percent back to this, wanted to do it the right way. you know, but there is always some some sense of urgency. I would say uh, one thing that really worked in our favor though, is that they were very much behind getting the stakeholder input from all all parties and having me kind of report back at specific intervals on on where I was with that. So that kept me honest. I also had, you know, my boss, an executive sponsor that was, um, you know, having checkpoints with me, making sure everything was rolling along, you know, and then it was just a level of persistency, getting these meetings on the calendar, explaining to people why they are so important, um, because at the end of the day, you know, uh, hindsight is is twenty twenty, so they could come back and say, oh, well, I, you know, you didn't push hard enough for that meeting and I would have said this. It can be exhausting, but you really just have to kind of push to get that on the calendar. And then once you get people talking, I, I think Matt can speak to this. I wasn't in the stakeholder interview so that I didn't influence you know, any any type of uh, uh, feedback, but once you get them going, you can't get them to stop. You know, They wanna tell you everything. So it, it's just, you have to be very persistent. Um, and of course, like I said, just having some leadership backing certainly helps. Yeah,
1: makes a lot of sense. I saw Matt smile. Did you want to addend
3: that, Matt? No, it's it's true. Uh, you know, especially in a transformation like this, there's so much to talk about and 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 so much passion. And I think whether it's linear or parallel, you know, kind of building that coalition of the willing um, from the start is really really critical. One thing I think we really appreciated partnering with Board Warner is just your culture and. Our ability to kind of pull people from Borg Warner into the conversation—I don't want to say in an ad hoc way, but in, on kind of on short notice when we hit certain pivot points or hurdles along the way—the ability to just get input and get get feedback from people across the globe and across your organization was really useful in the process.
1: Marvellous. Well, the passion and desire for forward momentum is definitely palpable and probably a very good segue to talk about the visual identity. And for that, I invite back Jason. So, Jason, set the stage around the visuals. We have a business strategy. We have a brand strategy. We have a logo that hasn't been touched in years.
4: Yeah, I mean what a just from the beginning, just what a fun, uh great brief it was to be able to kind of partner with a a leader, our leading brand in the automotive space and really, you know, work with them to help point them decisively toward the future. I'm gonna bring up some visuals here as I talk. It will be descriptive for those without visuals, but just so we know what we're talking about. So yeah. So, you know, from a logo perspective, just looking at kind of a before and after, really this project was very much centered on that very visible logo asset. Kind of speaks for itself a little bit in terms of really decisively moving from legacy manufacturing space uh, to, you know, very much heavy, very static. It's been around for for some time, like you called out, Margaret, to a place that's much more, one, sort of automotive on a gut level. Feels kind of at home in the space, but also embraces technology and efficiency, innovation, and certainly and certainly mobility. So you know, kind of from a nuts and bolts standpoint, you know, we moved from from title case Borg Warner to an all caps setting and uh, retired the symbol, which was affectionately, I think, affectionately known as the bug uh, in, in internal <laughs> Borg Warner yeah. culture. And it's funny when we speak about, you know, stakeholders and engagement, even with the sort of radical shift in tone and kind of spirit, those two very practical things were things we really had to talk through with people about, oh, all caps, wait, I hadn't even thought about that. It kind of blew some people's minds and, you know, hanging on to the bug, evolving it, retiring it, big conversations, you know, because there's just a lot of sort of embedded history there, but the, you know, the result in terms of kind of where we landed, obviously much more streamlined, much more agile, you know, kind of moving from just like the industry itself and and the world in a way, kind of moving from a place of chrome and metal and, you know, solid manufactured items to a place much more about light and energy and mobility and, and, and agility. Interesting to to hear about the the, the conversation around kind of the discovery phase, super crucial to this part of the project as well. So we take a little closer look at the logo. Early on, we had some really important conversations with Fred, CEO, and and others around, you know, yes, we want to embrace the future, but also kind of honor the history and and make this a brand that can kind of represent the whole company uh, in totality, sort of past, present, future, and one are those timeless qualities of the brand in one of those early kind of interview, you know, settings. Um, there was this really interesting idea that came out of, you know, movement and efficiencies have kind of always been at the heart of the brand and kind of always will. So whether we're talking about, so the idea that, you know, whether it's a, a combustion turbocharger or efficiently moving kind of electrons from the grid to the wheel, this efficiency was kind of always at the heart of it. And uh, what we love is just how this logo tells that story in such a simple, elegant way, right? We feel dynamism. We feel electrification. We feel automotive cues. There's this still extreme kind of horizontality to it. There's a bit of a sporty lean, but really kind of the the, the simple magic here is the way it speaks to efficiency and innovation in the way the the W and the A nest together to really express that feeling of acceleration and speed in a way where we let go of the external symbol and really just kind of baked it into the name. So we get efficiency, movement, uh, innovation all in one, simple gesture. So, you know, kind of talks about what Borg Wonder does. It manufactures things, the things that are under the hood. The idea is kind of baked into the car here, if you will, right? But then also the bigger brand thought of, you know, a brand that's really moving the world forward kind of in their own way. Jason, speak to the
1: color change. Is this quite quite a dramatic uh, departure in
4: is it an aqua of sorts that your team landed on? Yes and no. You know, I'm actually going to go to another slide to talk about that. Yeah. So part of this was very much an additional logo, Evolve color palette to tell more of a technology forward story, still a blue brand as it has been, but much more... Dynamic, much more contemporary, this new bright kind of aqua color called technology blue, for example. So, very much about lightness and efficiency again, rather than being sort of heavy and static.
1: So, Jason, tell us about the different considerations around how this new brand shows up, the channels, the places it will show up. And also, just spend another moment, if you will, on it's now a word mark. The bug is gone. How challenging was that decision to get alignment on, please? Because I know there are many brands who are in that scenario and want to, it's it's quite a significant shift. So the best practice around achieving alignment, if indeed you want to go to a word mock.
4: Yep. I mean, definitely some conversations around that. I think the idea of when we're trying to tell a story about efficiency and innovation, the idea of kind of you know, cutting ties with the anchor, so to speak, actually kind of made the argument for itself. But then from a a practical standpoint, the question goes to what, what do we do on social media, right? So a really nice kind of feature, this logo is it truncates down really to a really handsome monogram that shows up, you know, with strength in small spaces, particularly social media, where we can still have the energy of that W, still get the same spirit and feeling as we get with the full logo in the abbreviated form. So that was another nice selling point. I think people really kind of kind of a click moment when you see full form and you see how it can kind of translate down to to small spaces. But but right, this had to also work, you know, in all the spaces we would think from web to social to exterior signage to trade shows and even, you know, as we think about ways to future proof this, this is very much a B2B brand yet. You know, there is definitely possibility of branded consumer goods, particularly in the EV space. So another big pressure test was, you know, how might this look and feel in a consumer facing way, particularly around uh, electric vehicle charging stations. So it was really fun to kind of work on this in such a focused way. You that this one asset had to kind of deliver in all these ways kind of known and, and, and unknown a little bit into the future.
1: So for the purpose and benefit of our listeners on the podcast, maybe describe how you scaled it and how it adapts. They may not have the benefit of seeing these visuals.
4: Sure. Really, the adaptation is just kind of going from a full Borg Warner logo that includes all those characters down to just a simple B&W, which is also in its own way a little bit of an evolution. The print had been using a version of that kind of in the social space so there's some kind of you know embedded comprehension around them uh, you know kind of traveling under that name in the social space but the w is quite expressive uh, both in the full word mark and the and the uh, truncated monogram
1: understood jason and you referenced the future proofing i'm mean, inferring from that that was around exploring how it might show up down the road in consumer applications, like the potential visual of a charging station we're seeing on the screen now. That's right. Yeah. Jason, just a final thought. If you think about it as an as an identity system, how do you think this system underscores Board Warner's commitment to acceleration and indeed accelerating the transformation to e-mobility? I'm thinking back about what Matt and Michelle shared as the business goals.
4: Sure. I mean, we think it does it kind of in every gesture, certainly from, you know, kind of the story and the themes that the logo itself is telling and the way we have sort of evolved the color story as well. Also, there's a dynamic component to this project as well. We're, for those of us looking at visuals, are looking only at static logos. There are a suite of animated logos as well that have, um, truly a lot of dynamism and and mobility kind of built into them. But this really just kind of, you know, light, agile, horizontal kind of sensibility really has been at at one time an evolution, but also making a really big impact, particularly already when you see it sort of implemented on website and and other visible spaces, pretty big shift.
1: Thank you, Jason. And thank you for anticipating the other question around in this realm of automotive, one would anticipate some animation as well. For the purposes of our viewers and listeners, animation doesn't do particularly well on webinars, so that is not on display this afternoon. So Michelle, Jason gave us a great tour of the process, the outputs, and where the new logo is showing up. Talk to us now about how you considered unveiling it, this wonderful new asset. What was in your mind as you thought about the choreography of unveiling it?
2: Yeah, so there was a lot of discussion around that. Um, You know, when is the right time? What is our target date? And I would say pretty quickly, we landed on this investor day that I referenced that we held at the beginning of last month in New York. So at that investor day we were also um, giving an update on where we were in charging forward and we were also on the cusp of a spin-off of two of our businesses so in one of the pillars i talked about divestitures or disposal of some combustion assets so the team uh, internally at board warner had been working on um, a spinoff for some time of our aftermarket and fuel systems businesses And we were really getting close. In fact, on our investor day, uh, the spinoff company had their own investor day later that afternoon. So it it just kind of made good business sense and pretty quickly aligned on that. And with this new company, I guess, emerging from that, we felt that it it made sense to kind of align our updated visual identity with that. So at the investor day was the first day that we had publicly shown our new logo. Um, and it was a pretty cool activation. So, internally, we did some promos on our uh, internal comm site uh, to let people know something big was coming and, you know, something very exciting. Uh, we had zero leaks internally or externally, which was really tremendous. People kept it pretty well under wraps. And then on Investor Day, we put out a press release about our new logo. And in tandem, all of our digital assets changed that day as well. So all of our social media pages and our website. One thing I would add to what Jason said about the the logo is, you know, we had not changed this in over three decades. So at that point in time, using this digitally was not really top of mind for whoever had created it at that point. You know, we needed a lot more flexibility and, and we lost a lot of weight by dropping the bug but then also making uh the the monogram and the text you know a lot more streamlined so much more adaptive to digital environments i mean that's what we're all kind of living in now um so yeah with the internal rollout too we also made sure that all of the assets that employees would need would be readily available so as soon as we changed the social pages our our next point was to make sure Employees had access to company overview presentations, a new PowerPoint template, guidance on brand standards. We have a really great digital asset management tool internally at Board Warner that we had everything primed and ready to go with links directly off of the marketing SharePoint page. So nothing was more than two clicks away. We didn't want to overcomplicate it, but we wanted to make sure that was available, easy to access and download. You know, nothing more than two clicks, like I said. We also have a store where we put, you know, Borg Warner branded gear for our employees. And literally as we were changing that over, orders were coming in, we we couldn't even do it fast enough. So that was really neat to see a lot of uh, the excitement around that. We did some training, which, which Matt and Jason helped with as well, where we're able to kind of bookmark the di- different chapters um, and put that out internally. Um, and then I would say in terms of implementation, we're giving ourselves a little bit longer lead time on some of the things that are going to be a, a heavier lift. You know, there is a cost associated with this. So exterior bu- building signage, we've given the locations about a two year runway to complete that. Um, uh, but otherwise, everything else uh, is is being used and, and excitably so. So,
1: gentlemen, I think we need to get some Borg Warner merch. That's my takeaway from from this call. Size small, please. Okay.
2: We'll happily take care of that.
1: Appreciate it, Michelle. There's a question coming in, perhaps you can address, which is:
2: Did you consider renaming or a new name for Borg Warner? I would say that was not really in the scope. Um, I don't want to say that point hadn't been brought up. But I think it was pretty, pretty quickly dissipated you know, that there was a decision You know, not to move forward with that. And for a glo- there's a lot of reasons for that. For a global company the size of Borg Mourner, that is very, very difficult to do. You have multiple legal entities. Every country you know, that we're doing business in has different rules and regulations. And even from some of the acquisitions that we've done, even smaller ones, that is a tremendous amount of work. So between um, all the acquisitions we're doing, the spinoff, you know everything else, I, I think the legal team that might have pushed them over the edge if I if I came to them with that. So there were multiple reasons, but it, it's a huge undertaking, and we we didn't feel that it needed a name change.
1: Matt, any comment on that or around the brand equity for Borg Warner or anything you would yeah.
3: add? I, I would echo what Michelle said. I think it was evident from an equity. Perspective. I mean, you know, Borg Warner has incredibly strong reputation in the space. The entire space is shifting, right? And so this this project is really about helping to shift Borg Warner's fundamental equity to more prominently, you know, point it towards this electrified future. And you know, there are a couple of conversations along the way that maybe you know entertain that idea, but I don't think there was any strong rationale to 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 change the name. Uh, it was really about building from that really strong name with a great reputation and pointing it in a new direction.
1: Yes. And Michelle Matt referenced the Go forward. It's a big theme of this conversation. So it begs the question what's next for Borg Warner from a brand perspective? You touched on the cadence of the activations and rollout of the new identity. Anything else you would highlight there?
2: That just we can continue to beat the drum on that. You know, make sure that all of the partners we work with have our our new and updated assets. Uh, you know, we have a long-standing partnership with, with IndyCar with the Borg Warner Trophy. So of course, making sure that they immediately have all of our new assets and that they're helping us kind of dovetail that messaging out there. Uh, like I said, I think uh pretty quickly internally we've gotten uh adaptation to the new assets. The buildings, the signage, and all of the branding on the interiors of our buildings will will take some time. So that's really where we're devoting a lot of effort now to make sure the locations are supported, uh, have the assets they need, know what they need to do to implement, you know. And and it's interesting when you go through an exercise with this and you see everywhere that that logo is, you know. It's all over the inside of the building and, and that'll take some time. And also we want to make sure to be sustainable about it too so even with business cards you know we've told employees you don't need to throw them out use up what you have we're moving to a digital platform in some cases you know and and, um, uh, transferring contact information that way instead of a physical card so you know we're not trying to make a lot of waste either we're trying to do it as as uh, efficiently as we can but also being conscientious about the waste portion Michelle, you
1: underlined the fact that you have a physical product. I'm wondering around how the identity would show up, if at all, on the physicality. I recognize that castings take time and money. What's the thinking there? I imagine that's another question our audience, particularly the autophiles who know about automotive parts, will have
2: yeah like you said that is a very expensive undertaking um you know and in some cases it it also requires some um, collaboration with the customer so i would say just for everybody on the call too we did not give up the trademark on our old logo, right? Because we know that will be out there in perpetuity. Um, and we also don't want to lose that. I mean, one of the things we deal with a lot at Board Warner is is counterfeiting uh, in certain countries. So we did not negate anything with the old logo so we're still protected that way also protected on the new one um, which is something I think people forget that you have to do uh, when you're when you're generating some of this new content so there's a, an expense with that as well um some locations I, I've already been approached by a couple of our plants that needed some assistance in in a new product they were developing and getting the proper files to put on the castings there. So I would say some of our our new products were just, you know, doing it right away. Uh, Some of the older legacy ones were doing an evaluation on on whether that really makes good business sense. Um, You know, and at the end of the day, this was really a a corporate exercise. So we wanted to make sure that the the locations knew uh, it wasn't a requirement that they had to change that over, you know, on all of their castings within a week. You know, we're more concerned right now on the initial phases of exterior signage, adaptation of of, uh, branded assets like the PowerPoints and letterheads, you know, and then work on on the rest as it comes. And I think that's helped with the buy-in, too. You know, there's a large cost associated with that.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Michelle, for walking us through the very practical and tactical components that can be forgotten in mm-hmm. the execution and all, as I say, the choreography around the activation. The predictable questions hitting us in the Q&A, and I invite others to please pop your questions in, and that is around how will you measure success? How will you know if this is successful? What's your answer to that frequently asked question, <laughs> Michelle?
2: Yeah, that in the marketing uh, world, That's always a very difficult thing to quantify, you know, whether you go to a show or you're changing the logo. Um, For me, the level of reception, adaptation of the new logo is really a key indicator. So as soon as we rolled this out, I was overwhelmed and really humbled by the feedback that I was getting from a lot of internal, um, uh, I would say partners, business partners and stakeholders and even external, just saying, wow, you, you really... You know, knock this out of the park. We we love it. We're so excited to use it. Um, and in an immeasurable world of of marketing, I think that's a measurable way. Are people excited about it? Are they looking? You know, to to use it immediately. Um, I think that's a way to at least for me to measure the ROI.
1: Yes, and it also speaks to the comment you and Matt and indeed Jason referenced in your introduction, which is there was a lot of stakeholders. Mm -hmm. You were thinking about the many stakeholders that mattered. Okay, so as we wrap up, I'm going to invite you to think about the lessons learned. You've shared many of them throughout the conversation. Matt, may I call on you first? What was the lessons learned? You've many years experience working with rebranding programs. Lessons learned that could be generalized to
3: other B2B brands, please? Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. I think I touched on it, but a, a, a big lesson here was the, the you know, clarity of business strategy is so, so helpful in these initiatives. Recognize that some of the, some of the viewers may not always be operating from such a place of significant clarity. Uh, there are a lot of, you know, typically many, many unknowns, but at least having a fundamental trajectory in place for the business and having an understanding about, you know the role of brand with within that trajectory is is, is really key. So that's that's a big lesson on on, on this uh, this one for me and something that we don't always um, benefit from uh, in a lot of our engagements. Sometimes they can feel like a walk in the dark or there can be some, you know, d- d- surprises you know halfway through the process. Uh, and we just didn't we didn't uh, experience that here. So that was terrific. The other thing I also touched on was this idea of the coalition of of, of the willing. Michelle, you may have a different view, but I would just say, as an as an outsider, you know, we found that the culture at Borg Warner was is relatively relaxed and, and collaborative in terms of taking on conversations, engaging in in what ifs around some big decisions like a brand or the identity of the company. We know there were some heated debates, uh, but it seemed uh, to be a, a comfortable culture in terms of engaging people. Getting feedback, getting opinions, and I think that level of informal or or quick feedback was was really valuable throughout the process. Uh, we always seek that out. Um, with some of our client partners, it can be a big challenge, or it can be fraught with concern, or you know, over over you know, reach or getting bad reactions. And it, and and we didn't have that sensibility here. And so, uh, tapping into the right people in the right way is 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 so beneficial to this type of work.
1: Thank you, Matt. From your vantage point, Jason, as a creative lead on the program, lessons learned that others may benefit from.
4: Sure, I mean, lesson learned as much as sort of just a little bit of a, a truth in terms of um, you know, as much as people, particularly in internal culture, become really enamored with logos and symbols, particularly when they're in place for for decades and it's all they've known or known of the com- of the company, right? And a lot of folks at Borg Winter definitely had a lot of attachment and association to the legacy logo. And while change inherently brings a degree of, you know, uncertainty and anxiety to the table, you know, the lesson of just letting go of the past in order to really sort of embrace that future in a bold way can produce a really exciting and empowering outcome for everyone to to rally around. And I think as, you know, as Michelle's talked about that, that anxiety or the uncertainty quickly kind of falls away. It feels like it's gonna be a, a, a how how could we change the logo then when you you know arrive at sort of um you know a new future it's it's it feels really kind of at home quickly. so I think that's that's something for everyone to kind of think about when're considering a, a change of brand
1: so maybe don't panic, trust the process, yeah, yeah, Michelle, do you want to build on those lessons?
2: Yeah, so very similar, you know, feedback uh, as Matt and Jason, but I would say, you know, make a game plan and stick to it. You know, we talked about sometimes the the persistence that's needed or the length of time. You, you've really got to pursue that um, and just have some patience. I would say also being selective with uh, a partner, you know, that that really is aligned and understands your business. You know, for us, it was Siegel and Gale, and I can't say enough good things about the team. Everything was uh, very well organized, had a game plan. You know, we just needed to kind of tap into that. So, uh, it's as much the client's part, not only to select the vendor, but also to inform them and make sure that they're they're really educated on. Who the company is, where you're coming from. Some of that can be garnered, of course, through the stakeholder interviews, but I felt it was really my duty to make sure everybody was up to speed on exactly who we are and, and what we do. And then the work is going to reflect that. Um, you know, it is a lot of work. It's very rewarding in the end if you if you do it the right way. Um, just a lot of of patience. And I would say, Frequent updates to your internal stakeholders uh, also don't hurt. Making sure that you're checking in and, and they know where you're at and, and relying on them also if, if you need some support in, in helping to move things along.
1: Fantastic. Shout out there to Laura and Christy Ryan and all our wonderful project management and account teams, without whom this communication just runs the risk of not being smooth. So big shout out and applause to that team as well final thoughts, anything, any advice that you haven't covered already or anything I may have neglected to ask you or we missed. I'm going to go right around again. Matt, please, last words for you.
3: Well, I would just, building on what Jason and Michelle just said, you know, this was a big identity change. And I think, you know, with all all the strategy work and the clear process, creating room for the work is really important. Creating room for a creative solution is really important. I think if we had, you know, path out specifically what the identity solution might look like, we may have ended up with a symbol. And just having the openness to explore, you know, identity solutions that are unexpected can take you to a place you wouldn't have imagined. So, I, Michelle, we appreciate the openness of you and the Borg Warner team to to letting the team explore, and Jason, you know, to your team for just you know kind of doing a very wide range of exploration and helping mm-hmm. us you know get the creative work to a place we didn't expect. So, openness, making sure you create that room and that space for for creativity and for something unexpected. That's where the magic happens.
1: Thanks, Matt, and lots of love for the work here showing up in the Q&A. I'm getting wonderful comments, so congratulations to all of you. Jason, uh, final words for you as well, please.
4: Sure, yeah. I mean, one build on, on Michelle's shout-out, too, is, yeah, I mean, one of the best parts of the job is getting to know our clients and, and their brands, so less of a learning, more of just a fun fact these things come out that, you know, if you win the Indianapolis 500 race, you win a massive trophy. And it's called yes. the Borg Warner Trophy, and it has been for decades. It's just such a cool little fun fact. All these companies and brands just have such unique cultures and histories and, and things to kind of get to know about and geek out on. So, yeah, it was very uh, mutual kind of uh, from our perspective, just what a productive and kind of linear process this was. We didn't feel like we didn't overthink things. We certainly didn't underthink things. It really just was kind of a nice you know, really steady linear kind of process. And look, we didn't get deep into behind the scenes design process, but we certainly looked at, yeah, a very wide range of, of possible solutions, some that included symbols for sure, and different kind of tonalities. But the the one that was the ultimate outcome really separated pretty quickly from mm-hmm. the pack within our walls. And, you know, you could confirm yourself, it certainly seemed like within the walls of, of BorgWarner as well. So, I mean, the only, Kind of capital put on that is is from advice is, is yeah be bold right embrace the future of confidence and and you actually you said it margaret trust the design process it really did kind of yes. guide this effort and um, brought us all to a really good place
1: thanks for that jason and kelly as um, a preface to your concluding remarks again lots of congrats to you and your team on being such a wonderful partner Lots of great remarks showing up in the Q&A, including one question, which we touched on a little, but perhaps you'd like to underline, the what's next for the brand? How are you going to support its continued embrace internally and externally? So I can tell from that question, it's a a wonderful client, past, present, or future, who's really thoughtful (laughs) about how to make sure that uh, launching a new brand is not an event, but becomes part of the culture and indeed identity of the company so with that as a question and also an entree for you to provide any other concluding remarks that you would like to share
2: yeah so first i'd like to also give a shout out to my amazing global team at Borg Warner, the marketing and pr team that really brought all of this to life you know they had to do a lot of the heavy lift to implement it um, and that's not easy when you're a large global company like us. So I, I just want to thank them as well um, for all their continued support and and hard work and passion really for who we are and what we do. Um it's an awesome team. Um in response to this question, you're exactly right, Margaret. It doesn't stop with the announcement of the brand. That's really for us where the work is just starting. Yes, we've done a lot of work to get to that point, but now it's the heavy lift of, of implementation. So it's really just a steady stream of beating the drum. You know, you you have to keep that message front and center. I mean, even this uh, webcast that we're doing is something that I would share internally. You know, it's just when you're starting to get tired of something, then you're starting to have some muscle memory about it, you know, kind of like a jingle in a commercial. And uh, it may annoy you, but you remember it. It's stuck with you. So for us, it's really just a steady um, stream of uh, communications, doing fun activations, like I was saying, our, our branded apparel and, and sportswear that we have, people are excited about that. They they want to wear those items and and show who they are, where they work. So really doing exciting things with that. And that's where my team gets a little uh, creative as well. So how can we weave that into the things we're doing at Indy, you know, on, on all of these things that give us a more B2C element. Um, but like I said, it's really just reiterating now that same messaging. So um, uh, it doesn't end with the activation. It's it's where we're starting. And that's really just with constant communication. So also reaching out to the locations, making sure they have the support they need for signage updates or anything else. Um, and people are excited about that. Working with the um, HR team on employer brand and, and how to excite, you know, new candidates with our new logo. And how do those assets reflect that change? So, um, a lot of things. I mean, it's not only what you see externally, but internally, things like code of ethics, you know, all of these different touch points for us to be able to reach all employees in, in some way. So, yeah, for us, it's just getting started. We'll just keep doing the work and keep beating the drum. Well, thank you, Michelle. Thank
1: you, Matt. Thank you, Jason. Just a few supplemental remarks here that are occurring to me as I listen to the conversation. First, I want to remind everyone that Org Warner also engaged Siegel & Gale to create the brand positioning and identity for the spin-off of the fuel systems and aftermarket business, now known as Finia. And that case will be the subject of another Unlocking Brand episode. You know, it seems to me that this Borg Warner story is a very elegant example of a rebrand where at least three success factors were present. The first, as Matt underlined, clear business strategy that set the foundation for the brand work. Second, an engaged CEO and board who saw the value of brand and the associated power of brand strategy, visual and verbal identity to signal transformation. And third, an empowered brand champion in Michelle who was a wonderful communicator and internal colleague and continues to be to shepherd the brand program with patience and diligence with the welcome support and openness to guidance from CEOs and other colleagues. So three wonderful success factors jump out at me from this very robust conversation. For those of you who would like to share it with friends or colleagues who miss the conversation, in the coming days, we will drop a recording of this on our Siegel and Gale Says podcast. I invite you to follow the podcast to be notified when this show drops. I also invite you to follow our other podcast, How CMOs Commit, for many conversations with brand leaders across industries on the issues that matter to CMOs today. And that's it. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you again, Matt. Thank you, Jason. Deep congratulations. Thank you to our viewers and a big congratulations to all three of you and the teams behind you and around you who make this program possible. Thank Thank you
2: all. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
3: Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Michelle. Jason, bye.
2: Thanks, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Siegel and Gale Says. You can read more thought leadership pieces and explore our work at SiegelGale.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. While you're at it, please leave us a review. See you next time.